0: Kei ngā takuahi o te motu, tahuti mai ki te hui. Ko Orini Kaiparate nei, e tautau ana i te ahi kōrero ki a whitawhitao anoa, i ngā whakaro ki ngā take o te wā. Welcome to the Hui Māori Current Affairs for all of
1: Aotearoa. Inangito nei. More than 150,000 Māori are making a life in Australia.
2: We miss home. There will be a time where we will return home, but for now, this is our life and we're enjoying it.
1: So how do they maintain their cultural connections from across the Tasman? We're so far away from home, so having people come around and share kai with us, cook with us, it kind of feels like we're back on the marae a little bit.
3: Does being out on tangaroa make you feel closer to home?
4: Oh, it's it's amazing. I like the fact of being out in the water, it's peaceful and surrounded by my culture and feeling like I'm at home.
5: And how should they engage with tangata whenua? Banga Warangat, Ioragu, Daruk, Nuragu. A special report from New South Wales.
0: Rarao, at least one in six Māori live in Australia, making it home to the highest population of Māori outside of Aotearoa. The majority of whānau head across the ditch for the highest salaries, but it does come at a price. Marae are the hearts of our communities, so without that central hub, how do whānau living in Te Whenua moi moi keep their cultural connections strong? Reporter D'Angelo Martin travelled to New South Wales to see the different ways whānau are maintaining their links to te ao te wāhanga they
3: They've picked up the whānau and moved to Ahitereiria for a better quality of life.
2: Sydney's been fantastic to us.
1: We only came here for two years. <laughs> 15 years later, we're still here.
3: But no matter how long they've been away, these whānau Māori still call Aotearoa home.
1: Everyone's coming here. And,
3: and are doing what they can from thousands of kilometres away Ooh. to keep their Taha Māori alive.
4: You're with people that are part of the Farno. Absolutely love that feeling.
2: Mm. We can still uphold our tikanga, uphold our reo.
5: That's for our future our children, our guliangare or tamariki, to know who they are.
3: For thousands of years, the Blue Mountains west of Sydney have been home to the indigenous peoples of the Darug mob.
5: Gūbanga, Gūbanga, Darug,
3: Marino has Darug and Honui a, a Paparangy Faka Whakapapa, She's lived over here since she was seven.
5: My nan, she used to say to me, you know, you're not just Māori. You're from the biggest living culture in Sydney. That's your mob, too, and you be proud.
3: While being on country connects her to her Aboriginal tribe, it's been harder to hold on to her Māori identity from the Blue Mountains. It's not having a marae detrimental to keeping te ao Māori and your Māori alive here.
5: Yeah, I want to be able to have a place to learn te reo, to learn about my people, to be somewhere. Like I even think about family that have passed and how difficult it was to, to get them home and that they want a place that they can sit. This concept of marae is something that for many years that has been um, the dream for Māori living here.
3: The idea of a Maraio Cultural Centre has been in the works since 2015, but it's still a long way from being realised. So without that, whānau Māori living in this city have devised their own way to reconnect and keep the flames of their cultural identity alive and well, thousands of kilometres away from their tūranga waiwai. My uncle Brendan Martin and his whānau left their papakainga in Panguru in the far north 13 years ago. It was a massive shift from a population of fewer than a hundred people moving to Australia's largest city of more
2: than five million. Um, oh. Sydney's very busy. Our main focus is mahi and there's a lot of mahi so whanau sort of don't get much time to you know acknowledge our tahamaori, uh mai nga kapohaka, nga reo. The whanau are still here and making
3: a concerted effort to ensure their uri whakatupu are immersed in te
2: ao Māori. We become tuturu no te kainga. We can still achieve what we want in this environment and still uphold our tikanga, uphold our our reo and te ao Māori katoa.
3: Uncle Brendan's dedication to his Te Nui Kapahaka helps to foster his hononga to home.
2: I feel my job here is to maintain that the best I can for our rangatangi, just so they remember who they are and uh, where they come from.
3: The group is invited to perform at corporate functions and to warm up crowds at large sporting events, like this recent gig at a New Zealand versus Australia T20 cricket match.
2: I'm fascinated how people really love our culture here in Sydney, not only Māori, we're in demand. We do it because we love performing. We do it because we love to show the world our, our tonga. You know, mahi Tira.
5: I love seeing kapahaka groups just fulfilling their cultural right and responsibility and passing that to the young ones as well.
3: But for all their efforts to stay connected, whānau Māori still yearn for a place to come together. This space will allow for the retention and the evolution of tikanga That's why plans for a first-of-its-kind marae built outside of Aotearoa should have been cause for celebration. Instead, the proposal has been dogged by controversy over a lack of consultation with local mana whenua, Karina's Darug mob. The
5: first time that they did contact us, we told them about the cultural protocol around that and that you simply can't get a yes from us today. Because we have to go back into our community and we need to get them on board.
4: Well, Aboriginal organisations are getting
1: pushed out slowly, they are. and you see that. You, we're yeah. witnessing that.
5: Is it appropriate for a marae to be here? Well, my people are saying no. They don't feel like it is. To be honest with you, uh, the process needs to start again.
3: For Karina Marino, the loss of Finua culture and Reo is something that's impacted both sides of her whakapapa. With or without a marae, she's determined her sons will be strong in both their Darug and Māori identities.
5: This is what we call a marae, and you belong to one of these. In fact, you belong to two. I think we're all on our own journey. I feel my my responsibility is to ensure that we're respecting our old people and the journey that they have had to, to go through, and it's for our future.
3: And that future includes supporting Darug language revitalisation.
5: We've been creating a community of language learner speakers, but we targeted our adults because they needed the confidence to teach their families, their children. It's truly been a wonderful experience.
3: After the break, we see how whānau are keeping their reo and tikanga alive across the ditch. I've always
1: felt this yearning to be able to speak um, the reo.
3: How do they feel about the rise of te reo back at home?
4: It's becoming our first language in New Zealand. I never thought that that was ever going to happen.
3: And do whānau Māori see themselves living in Ahitereiria forever? We miss home.
2: We'll always miss home.
4: I'd like to have my final resting place back home in New Zealand.
0: Peri tonu mai e te iwi, stay with us. Ā kua nei tātou hui tahi anoe. Aura ki mai anō ki te hui. More than 170,000 Māori now call Australia home and while many plan to stay for a short time, the quality of life and their growing whānau mean they often end up putting down roots in Te Whenua Moemoea. But that doesn't mean they're turning away from the Ao Māori. Here's D'Angelo Martin with the second part of his special report, Kia Ketato.
3: Right, Maya Juniors, Haramai, Kiatere. Sunday morning at Maya Outrigger Canoe Club in Sydney's Yarra Bay. Hands up, who knows what huli training is? Since 2011, the club has been reviving the old ways of Wakaama, attracting kaihoi from all ages and backgrounds. <laughs> Four years ago, Waitahu Sonia Taylor moved to Australia after she got a promotion with her job working for Kiwi firm Main Freight.
2: Home here, crew here. Oh, yeah.
3: For Sonia, being a part of this Waka'ama club is much more than a way to keep fit. Does being out on Tangaroa make you feel closer to home?
4: I like the fact of being out in the water, it's peaceful and surrounded by um, uh, my culture and feeling like I'm at home.
3: After three years at the club, Sonia has seen the sport of waka'ama attract not just whānau Māori, but people from all backgrounds and ages.
4: That whole togetherness that um, I really love. Just one of the reasons why I came to this club is, is that this club's all about the, the children coming through.
3: Ama, say it to me. Ama.
4: They are the future of the club. They will be the senior paddlers. They will be the me in, in 10 to 20 years. Our tamariki out there today, they are the most important things.
3: While Ama gives Sonia a dose of culture once a week. She says she's watched in awe at the gains being made by Māori back home. Good evening, Especially hearing more Reo Māori being spoken in the four years since she left Aotearoa.
4: That's a change. A lot of people walking around with moko Kowai on, on the TV speaking Māori. I think that it's our culture has really grown in New Zealand and it's, it's extremely strong right now.
3: Sonia longs for a place where Māori can come together.
4: I miss marae that we have back home, somewhere where we can, you know, have celebrations. I think it would be great to have a marae here in Sydney.
3: Sonia's not alone. Many crave that togetherness and a hākari. Some adopted Australian Fano Māori are recreating memories of being back home in the Kota to fill the void.
1: We're so far away from home, so having people come around and share kai with us, cook with us. It kind of feels like we're back on the marae a little bit. Everyone, come and
3: eat. Today I've been invited to a marae-style lunch at the South Sydney home of chef and food writer Bridget Fuliaki-Davis. Bon appetit, everyone.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
3: Bridget wrote her first cookbook five years ago. She's now just published her sixth, creating a healthy food empire that employs her entire whanau
1: because there's amazing opportunities here but we miss out on the most amazing opportunities back home we miss out on birthdays and celebrations and get-togethers and being able to go back to marae and cook and be part of the nurturing of especially the younger generation
3: prawns on the barbie have replaced hangi and Bridget still pines for the pataka and kōta at her karakia marae in Te Pō o Fairangi
1: You know, we have this sense of culture, and it's so interconnected into food. You know, one uncle, he knows where the best watercress is, and, you know, that other uncle knows where the best kutai are. You know, that sort of central idea of being Māori, it's... ah, It's hard being here and not getting to experience that all the time. Uh, Whata-whata? whata fata. fata. Rama-rama.
3: Establishing an awareness of the cultural identity of her kids is important to Bridget, particularly as they were all born in Sydney.
1: Yeah! We are Māori. We are from this beautiful land and we can still be Māori no matter where we are in the world. So we take marae with us. We take what we learn on the marae, we take um, you know, the protocols, we take the um, tikanga, we take everything with us no matter where we are in the world. O tautahi. O tautahi. Oh, I love o your pronunciation. Tautahi. It's an exciting journey because once again, it's that connection back to home. Doesn't matter where we are, we can still begin to get more in depth with who we are, especially through language.
3: Despite the opportunities they've had across the Tasman and the sacrifices they've made to move here, these Farno do eventually see themselves returning to Old Aotearoa in the future.
4: When I go home and I'm ready to retire, I'd like to settle down in, in where, where my mother um, was brought up, in um, Ngāti Tahu, Ngāti area, in Reparoa. Our trust there, putting together these little we komatua flats. I like to set up a little wee garden, to be back in New Zealand, and then looking after my grandchildren. Hopefully.
2: Definitely miss whanau. Definitely miss you know smelling the awa. It's definitely miss smelling the moana, uh, hiki kite kite tau taku moana. You haven't been able to go
5: to your marae, well, or my whanau live back home. So it's my responsibility to get back home and get, be nourished by my family.
3: That 10 years has
2: gone, gone so fast and our little whanau then has actually extended to mokopuna now. Uh, mainly our mokopuna keeping us here at the moment, and there will be a time where we will return home. But for now, this is our life, and uh,
3: we're enjoying it. E kore e
0: Cino Cino korelo wai tenei. Nadie Angelo Martin Tira Puringo, and it was a report produced by Ruani Pereira. Inanga tene te iwi kākori roa haukiti kai tahi ite puka puka hou te motunu e pa. A newly launched book, *The Motsunui Epa, examines how five carved panels changed international law on the protection and repatriation of stolen cultural treasures. It's a story that begins in the early 1800s in a Taranaki swamp where the hapū hid their elaborately carved tōtara panels as they braced themselves for an impending war that would last for 80 years. 150 years later, the panels re- emerged on the other side of the world, part of a hidinger that took them to New York, Geneva, London and the Royal Courts of Justice. Their story has been brought to life by Dr Rachel Buchanan of Taranaki and the Atiawa descent and it retraces the remarkable journey of these taonga and their impact on the world. Dr Buchanan joins us now live from Murihiku. Tēnā koe te tuga, tua kana. Uh, Let's start koe. with this. Let's start with the story of the Motunui Epa, which is a great example of the phrase, truth can be stranger than
6: fiction. Can you give us an overview of their life story? Sure. Yeah, so these beautiful carvings would have, were made in the mid to late 1700s by, um, obviously, master carvers. And then, as you said in your intro, were placed carefully in the swamp to hide them, uh, pero Peral or waipapa. Um, and I think um, our ancestors would have meant to retrieve them, but as you said, there was the musket wars, so-called, and then the wars of colonisation. So these beautiful taonga tupuna had a very long moi in the swamps. They slept through all the troubles of the 19th century, all the war worlds of the first um, 20th century, and then they emerged. Uh, So I'm very much looking at the story through the eyes of of the carvings themselves. They popped up in 1971, started looking around and unfortunately were found and sold illegally to an art dealer from the UK who then spirited them away uh, in a ship. He told me that they were labelled furniture, so they were smuggled out and then sold to a very wealthy collector called George Ortiz and taken home to his place in Geneva, a mansion where he lived with his kids and wife. Um, And I think our taonga tupuna would have disappeared from sight forever if it wasn't for um, the fact that Italian criminals kidnapped one of the children of this family and then um, these taonga, along with many others, were put up for auction at Sotheby's. So, really, that was one of the moments where um, our, our taonga tupuna looked around and sent out a message. That's how I see it. And they reached out and Ron Lambert, Uh, who was a new director of the Taranaki Museum, caught wind of this auction and his alarm bells started ringing. And that's when the detective work started. So Ron acted quickly and then the highest levels of government acted and quickly New Zealand government took an injunction to stop the sale of these carvings, which was pretty incredible for that time, 1978. Uh, The Muldoon government wasn't really known as pro-Mauri, let's say that.
0: Mm. Yeah, that is quite the story and the journey. So what impact have Te Motunui Epa had on other Indigenous taonga that have been removed from their
6: tūranga waiwai? So I think there's a number of ways of answering that. Uh, um, The most obvious one is to say that New Zealand, uh, as a result of the failed legal action to get these carvings back, laws changed in New Zealand. The Protected Objects Amendment Act was uh, introduced into Parliament in 2005 and that means New Zealand now has really excellent laws uh, to provide better protection to Taonga uh, from being taken out. And I think that... I, I like to see that the EPA really provided a cloak of protection for all of its relatives in New Zealand. But also, um, because this case was really notorious, the New Zealand government was so aggressive in its litigation going all the way to the House of Lords. And there was in, uh, you know, interest in the art world and in the legal world about this bold move. It really has um, changed case law. So... Um, in a way, the failed legal action sort of became successful. It placed a rahui on these carvings and meant that ultimately um, the New Zealand government had to pay to get them back. So I guess for other stolen taonga from other iwi and hapu around New Zealand, what I think the story shows is that um, relationships are key, that these EPA would not have come back if it wasn't for the relationships mm-hmm. that many people formed with them. And I think all of us as Māori people can really be inspired by the way this story is kind of utu enacted. You know, there was great wrongs committed, but now balance has been achieved. And uh, and I see that um, it's not so much about what we're all doing, but what these amazing taonga tupuna can achieve mm-hmm. when they are given the power to act I mean, or not given the power, claiming their own sovereignty. Sam would say, ko te mahi te rā,
0: te wairua. Now, from an mm. artistic perspective, tell us about the significance of these particular panels because smuggling and kidnapping aside, they're pretty spectacular.
6: <laughs> That's so true. I mean, they're absolutely awe-inspiring. I'm I'm someone with um I've done no work in the past on carving, so I'm not a connoisseur. But when I saw them, I just was blown away. And the way I describe them, I mean, my understanding of the Taranaki carving style is that it's um, characterized by the really deep figures are uh, carved into the wood, so they're like eels really seething in a stream. I remember being a kid in Taranaki and seeing going um, with flashlights at night, feeding eels like little scraps of meat and just seeing them seething there. And that's what I... When I look at these carvings, I just see so many people intertwined, and it's like they're 3D figures. So as I was working on this book and whenever I'm privileged to be with the epa in person, I just see that there's people in there, all these ariki, waiting to step out and they really did step mm. out. So that's what, um, if you're lucky to go and visit them, I hope that everyone else can share in the pleasure of just marvelling at the the, the artists that made these carvings. Mm. Tika,
0: being a uri of Taranaki and Te Atiawa yourself, how meaningful and significant is this, is the return of these Tonga to their rightful home um, for your, your whanaunga, everyone around Taranaki?
6: It's just huge. I was really... um, The book was launched last week and there was a really big crowd there and the wairua and the emotion in the room was just absolutely amazing. And we all addressed our taonga tupuna in our um, talks and, you know, Matua Mahara Okiroa, who's been a mentor, Damon Ritai, who was the MC, uh, you know, we all commented that, the, that the carvings were listening in and there was this absolute sense of joy coming off them. So, I mean, this is, this is five years after their return home um, and it was a real sense that they were... It's just this huge pride in these masterpieces. Yeah.
0: Can I just ask you very quickly, for those of, uh, those of our whanau or Alfano watching tonight, where can they get a hold of your book?
6: Bookshops or online or libraries, or it's going to be in 500 schools. Chair.
0: Ka Pai, it's been <laughs> straight and simple. Ka Pai, thank you so much for joining us tonight on the Hui. We really appreciate your time and your insight. Namehi. <laughs> Ko tākuta Rachel Buchanan tērā te kai tito, kai tuhi hoki te puka puka hou ko te motu e pa. Kua kewa te kōrero mo wai, ngari hoki mai anoa tērā wiki. Make sure you join us again next week for our special one-hour finale episode of The Hui, which will be led by, of course, Mihi Ngārangi Forbes. We leave you now with a new aiata by Mohi Te Ata mai
7: teri dance in ki te aata chu eh me toh ri mai pe pe mai kiyahu ma hair akera nahi re I I ka to aa idaro ite aata ra paide he wa ka Toco Ti rohia atura te
1: Nā te puna whakatonga rewa te hui i tau